Hello and hi, welcome to another Slice of Sci-Fi. I'm Summer Brooks, and with me today is co-host and raconteur Tim Callender, and we are here to speak more about the documentary, The Eagle Has Landed, all about Space 1999. Uh, the, the project is spearheaded by producer Jeffrey Morris of Future Dude Entertainment and Kevin J. Anderson, the acclaimed, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have enough adjectives right now, uh, <laughs> author, award-winning author. Busy, the busy author. Super busy That's author. what I was going to say, busy. I mean, what, what you've, you've like cut your output back to like seven novels a year now? Uh, it's four this year, so I kind of slacked <laughs> off. So. <laughs> but we are here to talk about the documentary "The Eagle Has Landed," and this this is a, a groundbreaking TV series for a lot of science fiction fans of a certain age. And it, it, the fact that it's finally getting a documentary was uh, a delight for me to learn. And Jeffrey, talk about where the idea came from and what made you stick your flag in the ground and say, yeah, I'm doing this. Well, uh, thanks for asking. I, uh, you know, I, uh, I've been watching, I watched space 1990 the first time when I was about, uh, seven years old. So, um, back when it was first run as a kid, but I was, uh, um, a big fan of NASA and, you know, I was following all the, all the Apollo missions and that sort of thing. I was very, very engaged with it. So, uh, you know, the idea, I, I obviously I was watching the original Star Trek, um, every day after school, but there was something about uh, a series that was set 25 years in the future versus 300 years in the future that really resonated with me. And I, I guess, um, you know, it felt like something that I could be a part of. And then when you look at the technology of a spacecraft like the Eagle seen in the show and the moon base and all, it just felt very grounded. Um, you know, the premise itself was pretty wild, but I'm talking about the the moon base, right? The basic elements of it. And the fact that it was just set you know, a few decades in the future, it felt like a, a world that I was going to get to be a part of. And that was really, really exciting to me. And, you know, I, I think I got my first Eagle when I was in maybe, uh, you know, there was the Mattel Eagle in 1976, uh, Christmas. I got, I got a couple of those actually got really lucky. And then I had the Dinky Toys Eagle and, um, you know, and I always kind of kept them and, and took care of them and I, I cherished them. And I, over the years, I met so many people who also collected eagles. It was crazy. And, you know, and it, it was it wasn't like a small thing. I mean, I'm talking about a lot of people that were into this and, and who who uh, built eagles and did art, created art and blueprints and art prints and all these things. Right. And, uh, and, and even in the past year, I saw somebody this guy last year who he's been working for over five years on building a quarter scale eagle in his backyard. He lives in Denmark. And it's remarkable the the level of detail and quality of what this guy's created. His name is Jan Vinneberg. Wow. And uh, yeah, he's built a quarter scale eagle, and it, it's can, insane. Can we and, shrink down to get inside of it? Well, uh, well, it's not that big, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it, but no, well, but it's so big that he could stand on top of it. it, it, it wow. When you see pictures of it, it's it's crazy. Um, actually, there's a picture on our website eagle.com. If you go in the section and you see the cast of who were interviewed, you can see a picture of it. Him standing next to it, it's amazing. So anyway, my point is there was so much energy around it and I've been collecting them and I, you know, I even have this big Jerry Anderson replica here, um, you know, and I just, and so one day I was like, what, what's this about? Why, you know, what, what is this about? Why do people have this obsession with this spacecraft? Because obviously in science fiction, there's, there, uh, you know, uh, people have, 
you know, a love of the enterprise, for example, which I share. Um, people have a love of the Millennium Falcon. Uh, you know, there, there's certain ships, right? And, you know, or, or the, the car in Back to the Future, right? Things like that, right? The DeLorean. Um, but there's something more going on with the Eagle. So the thing that, that the, the spark that hit me was, I really believe there's a, there's a through line from the lunar module and the Apollo missions in the early 1970s, the, the dream of going to the moon that all of us thought was going to happen. In, in the, you know, by the 80s, 90s, that sort of thing. And and then the lack of that future, you know, when that future didn't happen, I think a lot of people kind of held on to the eagle as this, this symbol of a future that never occurred in a way. And once I hit that sort of central thesis, I realized that we had a story that I think was really interesting to follow. And the more that I shared with people that idea, the more that I got feedback like, wait a minute, I never thought of that. And I've never had one person push back on me <laughs> that that's an eagle collector. That, that, that doesn't get what I'm talking about. So to be long-winded, you know, long story short, that's the bottom line. That's what, that's what led me to want to do this documentary and create it. So, yeah. And uh, Kevin, how did, how did you get involved? Well, um, I mean, I've known Jeffrey for a while. We've worked on a couple of uh, projects together. And in fact, our, the next Kickstarter that I'm putting together is for uh, a novel uh, from a movie script that Jeffrey wrote and I kind of helped helped him on developing some of it. Uh, but we got connected by a mutual friend at, at NASA <laughs> and it was strange. Like the first time we talked on Zoom, hey, let's just get to know each other. And then four hours later, oh, well, we better go. And and well, it's like each each one of those times that we talk, it's like, how about this and this? And so we, we really connected on a, like a creative level and a personal, like we all love the same things. Yeah. All, yeah. all of our back, uh, the, the love of the same books and the same mm -hmm. um, TV shows. And everything. Well, we like a lot of the same music too, which is pretty yeah. cool. Well, yeah. And speaking of that, I mean, space 1999 best opening theme song of any show in the history. Oh yeah. No question. Well, but, but which series one or two? One. Uh, one. <laughs> number, number, number one. Number two is pretty good. No, no one series two is pretty good, though. Series I don't two's think got it's some bad. pretty groovy. It's yeah, got, I think it's series like, two yeah. is cool. It's just yeah. that series one is like epic. It's yes. just like, I think about this. When I was a kid, and I don't know, Kevin, you remember that, like, when, when that show would come on, and you know, you'd know, you see the ITC logo, and then, you know, they would have the opening stops and then the teaser, and then that, that drum roll, and then they cut to, to Martin Landau, you know, and it, that epic, it was just like, Whoa, you know, it was almost it was almost like that guy in this with the speaker with his, you know, getting blown back. You know, it was it was really that powerful. You know? Well, it's so grand and epic and and yeah. and then it goes into the like the twangy almost like the disco thing. It's almost sort of a disco. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. Sorry, I'm not gonna sing the theme song for it because it's <laughs> instrumental, but it's so cool and different and, and groovy and weird and you know, yeah. But anyway, so Jeffrey and I worked on this thing called Persephone, which is kind of, um, I almost call it like the Martian, but at Alpha Centauri. It's like this small group of colonists in, in a, a Proxima B, which is uh, theoretically the habitable planet around the red dwarf in the Alpha Centauri system. And uh, the script went through a bunch of drafts and it was kind of ready for filming. And then um, <coughs> Jeffrey had me do the novel version of it. And we worked on that back and forth. And, and that'll be the next thing literally the next thing on my writing schedule is to to beef up and finish the Persephone novel. But 
I don't know, along the way, we must have had five or six other projects that was like, hey, let's do this and hey, let's do that. And mm-hmm. and they're all in various stages of things. But mm-hmm. but his his obsession with the Eagle in Space 1999 um, and, and when we started talking, I, I said that I love Space 1999. And, and I just got oh, a year or two ago, I for a Christmas present, my wife got me the full uh, DVD set of every single episode. And I blitzed through and watched every one of them. And I got to tell you that a lot of them aren't as good as I remember them. <laughs> but, there, but there are some that are just like, I love this. Episode. No, some of them were awesome. Some Especially the first season, there are some great episodes, you know. Um, yeah. And some are just like, oh, man, what? who was? Yeah, never mind. absolutely. But, but still, um, you know, there there are a few episodes of classic Star Trek that were kind of pretty stinky mm-hmm. too. So that it was the 70s and and there really wasn't a high bar for science fiction and there just wasn't anything. And Space 1999 came out after Star Trek was long off the year. And my my age age range, I was basically I was basically too young to get classic Trek when it was on live. I mean it was on and I didn't like it because I liked Lost in Space instead. That had more monsters on it. And <laughs> and the, but Star Trek was more cerebral and all of the aliens just had like pointy ears or they silver skin or something. And when I got to high school though, I watched Star Trek every afternoon. Like that you would come home from school and there's the Star Trek reruns. And I got to the point where I could basically mouth the lines of everything. Yeah. And then Space 1999 comes out. There was nothing else. And so this was the first time I could watch a new science fiction show. Mm-hmm. And um, and again, the I didn't really see the logic flaws when I was, I forget what, Jeffrey, what year did it come on? Uh, 75. 75. So I was, um, I was a freshman in high school then. Mm-hmm. And the, the moon base and the, uh, and the Eagle. And I, I had, I was the weird kid, you know, I was the nerdy kid. I got straight A's in school. I read science fiction and comics. My parents who were very, very mundane. My dad was a banker and my mom was an accountant and they just had no understanding of this science fiction stuff. I took my mom to the theater to see alien because I had seen it and I loved it. Mom, you like scary stuff. Let's go watch this. And my mom watches alien and like it washes over nothing. And I said, but mom, didn't you think this was scary? She said, well, no, because none of it's real. It's monsters. So she just couldn't couldn't get into anything that wasn't quote unquote real, mm-hmm. like in the future or anything. So they they never really shared the stuff. But but I was a good kid and I didn't cause any problems and I was always on the honor roll. So they indulged me my perhaps unwise interests when I was in high school. And I convinced them to let me paint one entire wall of my bedroom with a detailed, exact scale replica of the Romulan bird of prey. Wow. So it was eight nice. feet wide, eight feet wide in enamel paint, like orange and all the, all the Romulan stuff on there. And then I painted like the Klingon, I don't know, the, the symbol of the Klingon empire and stuff. And on my ceiling, I had two eagles hanging there on fish line that I had put in. And, you know, that was kind of me. And I would sit in there with my typewriter and type my fantasy sword and sorcery adventure novel that I never sold anywhere. But but that's I watched all the stuff and I had to watch it alone because nobody else was interested in it. But 
I space 1999 was just, I have such fond memories of it that, you know, it's, it's just cool. And then when Jeffrey brought up that, that he's really thinking about doing this, this documentary, I just said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I want to, I want to help you on it. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so here I am. Yeah. Yep. So what's, what's the status of the documentary right now? Where are you in production or pre-production or post-production? Well, we've actually produced some of it. We actually have shot uh, three segments already of the documentary. The, the, the key is that I want it to be a tra- travelogue where it feels like, uh, if you're familiar with the shows like uh, Parts Unknown with Anthony Bourdain, that series on CNN, or um, you know this uh, Finding Italy with Stanley Tucci, you know we're going around, we're traveling, we're going and doing things. I, d- I didn't want this to be a bunch of talking heads, and I didn't want it to be static. I wanted to have a lot of energy and and beauty to it. So um, we shot in uh, Calgary at a at a Space 1999 anniversary event where uh, fans from all around the world had come together, and Nick Tate was there. We had a great time, and Nick and I met and hit it off. And then uh, we shot at one. Nick Tate is. They might not know the listeners. Oh, uh, uh, Nick Tate, who played uh, uh, Captain Alan Carter, who was the uh, primary Eagle pilot in Space 1999. And it was really a a huge honor to meet him and hang out with him because uh, for me, you know, uh, you know, I I was into Captain Kirk and those guys, Spock and those guys. But once I started watching Space 1999, Alan was my guy because he flew the Eagle. You know, he felt like an astronaut in the future. He was going to be, you know. He, he was one of us, you know, from my generation. And that, that was what was so cool about it. So, um, and so we shot at Wonderfest, which is a, a really cool model building uh, sort of expo that happens in Louisville, which is amazing stuff there. They have a huge eagle display um, and a bunch of eagle collectors that came together there. And then I went to Colorado and uh, uh, shot a segment with uh, Kevin at the Garden of the Gods, which is a really quite beautiful segment where Kevin and I got a chance to talk a little bit about uh, um, why we love the Eagle, the importance of Space 1999 really at its time, the time that it occurred and and the impact that it had sort of rippling forward. And and, and the fact that we really um, the optimism and some of the, uh, you know, the, the representations and things that were in there, it was pretty unique for its time. And so we Kevin really helped to uh, uh, illuminate those aspects. So we got that on camera and the, the production, everything is two cameras. We're doing it with uh, motion picture quality and it's 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 quite beautiful. So my we um, my my company's invested in it to this uh, to this place, and we've we've also done a lot of marketing. We've we've um, we've had uh, all kinds of international exposure. Over two hundred. I just just found today we have over two hundred twenty articles in publications all around the world about about the project. Uh, we also uh, um, have uh, uh, Barbara Bain who played the the you know Dr. Russell on the show. Um, I met with her in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago and she and I really hit it off. It was phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. She and I had one of the best I've ever had, actually. She's a very, very intelligent, very deep person. And we, we really had a lot to talk about. It was great. Um, but anyway, the Kickstarter, we, we decided um, the reason why we went down the path of Kickstarter is um, we actually had some interest from some Hollywood entities in the project. But the thing that happened was the more that I pitched it, the, the, the people who were interested kept saying, yeah, they were less and less and less and less interested in the Eagle. <laughs> they really didn't care that much about the Eagle. And they certainly didn't care about depicting the fans of Space 1999 Eagle. Almost zero interest. Unless we kind of made fun of them maybe a little bit. It was a sort of tongue-in-cheek kind of, aren't those people kind of weird kind of thing, you know? And I refused to do that. I, I, I It's too important. And this really is about, while we do have some celebrity, um, you know, uh, uh, guest appearances in this, 
Um, and we actually are in talks with some really, really big name celebrities for the project. But uh, that's not what it's about. You know, and then they also were shifting me more and more and more toward talking about there's an element in this story where I want to talk about the Artemis program and NASA and going back to the moon and that sort of thing. But that's not, you know, that's just a piece of this. That's a piece of this. There's Apollo at the beginning. There's Artemis at the end. But in the middle is the eagle and all the fans and all the, you know, everything. So I decided to go the route of a Kickstarter because um, I wanted to have creative control. Uh, you know, it's like with with Hollywood funding comes Hollywood control and and Hollywood perspective. And quite often they just do not get what people like all of us on this uh, podcast, you know, the kind of things we seek and what we want to see. So, you know, and so uh, so we went down the route of crowdfunding. The uh, the budget that we projected for the project on the Hollywood side was about two and a half million dollars. I figured out how to do this for only a half million dollars. So it, that's a high number for a Kickstarter. But um, but we have raised uh, almost one hundred twenty five thousand, which on Kickstarter terms is actually phenomenal. There there have been over 80,000 Kickstarter projects you know, since they launched and less than seven percent point seven, excuse me, less than point seven percent have raised as much as we have. So that says that there's an audience for this. There's an interest in it. We still hope that um, that we can still make it. But if we we still have some plan B's. I mean, the, the one thing that's beautiful about this is we've gotten so much international attention and and interest. I mean, I, I literally did a podcast with a group from Italy about this today. And I've talked with people in Switzerland about it. And I mean, people all around the world are interested and want to see this. So we're going to get it made. It's going to happen one way or another. Just to just to clarify for the, the viewers or, or uh, the other fans that are out there that this this is does have the support of. IT, ITV and Jamie Anderson is the son of Jerry Anderson. So we're not just doing this without anybody knowing about it, that this, right. Jeff, why don't you tell them about the, the details that they're. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. Uh, project. Yeah. Very quickly. I mean, one of the things I, I wanted to do, I, I'm uh, Summer and Tim, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you saw the uh, Kickstarter video that we did, um, but there's footage in there for, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's footage in there for space 1999 and there's recreations we did of the Eagle and recreations of the interior and all that sort of thing. And I just did not want, I mean, somebody else's intellectual property, you know, and, and I take that very seriously because I, I create intellectual properties and I, I'm precious about that and I get it, you know? So I, um, I made sure that we um, went through a whole process with ITV and we, um, they vetted the project, they looked at it and they actually like it a lot. They think it's pretty exciting. So they were actually willing to, uh, um, grant us a license for footage and and to go forward. We have their blessing. I also um, part of that process was working with Jamie Anderson, who is the son of uh, Jerry Anderson, um, the legendary TV producer. Um, and uh, uh, Jamie actually likes the project, and he's going to be uh, one of our interview subjects, which is really cool. Oh, that'll be exciting! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what has been uh, one of the biggest challenges of this so far? beyond just getting the money through Kickstarter, raising the funds to produce this at the level you want to do it. What, what's what been a challenge or an unexpected, um, I don't want to say roadblock, but just something that as you were going through this is like, oh, I didn't expect that this was going to be a, an issue. You know, I, I will say two things. Um, one, I think on the, the lighter side, it was just trying to really get my arms around what the story is here. What's the best way to talk about this, right? Because I've, I've literally had some feedback on the Kickstarter where a couple of people were like, you need to just get rid of anything, but just talk about the Eagle. Let's talk about the technical aspects of the Eagle and how it works and how it was built and how it was this. And I'm like, you know, the audience for that's probably going to be about 500 people. 
you know? And yeah. the thing is, is that I want to make something here. Kevin and I want to make something that could go out to millions of people that, you know, what I want this to be is one of those surprising documentaries where people who have literally never even heard of space 1999 watch this and go, what is this? And they go, that's really interesting. And then you, it's about a snapshot of a, of a time, right? This pre star Wars mm -hmm. post NASA post Apollo time period. Right. Right. Um, that's been an interesting thing, getting my arms around, how to tell that story and then getting people involved and engaged who are going to help me to, to bring it to life. That's been a really interesting challenge. But the beautiful thing is um, I've had no pushback. Everybody's been like, I get it and I'm excited. Right. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. The, the thing that has been interesting to me though, is, is uh, the, the fans of space 1999. It's really interesting. You know how people use this term. They talk about uh, fandom having sort of some toxicity at times, things like that. One of the things that's been really interesting to me has been um, th all the different sort of fan um, clicks, right? There are, there are first season clicks and second season clicks. And, you know, I should say first series, yeah, so England, first series, second series, right? But there's, th th there are these groups that are like really angry if someone doesn't like second season or they're really angry. If they, it's really interesting. And then I've literally met people who only like the Eagle. They actually don't like the show. They're actually just Eagle fans, right? So one of the things that I've really been working to do is to stay very, very neutral and uh, very independent voter, you know, <laughs> and, right. and not getting pulled left or right on this thing and going, hey, everybody, let's all come together and let's create something that we all can be proud of and excited about. So I would say that's been a complete shock. I never expected it. You, you've got the, the the group of Eagle fans over here and the group of Eagle fans over there. You know, I've been trying to say, hey, everybody, we all are fans. Let's all work together. And I think it's working. I think there's Good. an interesting thing happening there. But that, Tim, that would be the the biggest challenge I've I've had so far. You know, yeah. Can you talk about some of the Eagle, uh, I guess, documents or memorabilia? that you've seen that you are including in the documentary because you know the first sci-fi show i fell in love with was the original battlestar galactica oh yeah i mean i that that oh, show yeah. blew my mind and, and you i see, you see you see what like i right, do i do see yeah, it right, yeah. sitting back and there I, on, on the, the other shelf. side of my office i've got a galactica and a cylon raider and a land ram <laughs> And a, and a silent bishop, <laughs> just so you know, right? right yeah. nice, the other nice. thing, Jeffrey, is over your left shoulder. Is that a um, is that a Buck Rogers starfighter? You're darn right, it is. Okay, <laughs> which was uh, which is another one of those like that. <laughs> that craft is awesome. That's my oh, favorite. That's my so favorite much, fighter. But, that's yeah. that's my favorite space fighter design. Yeah. You know, and that's both of those are Ralph McQuarrie. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 and that's iconic. that's uh, the the um, and you know he originally did the the Thunder Fighter for. Uh, uh, Battlestar, actually, and then they decided to go with the the, the current Viper design or whatever. But mm -hmm. anyway, yes, um, I, I summer love. I I I really got into the original Battlestar Galactica. As a matter of fact, much to the chagrin of my of my um, uh, friends in sixth grade, I actually like Battlestar more than Star Wars, and I had I nearly got I, fist fights over that one. I'm so, I'm, I'm there with you because yeah. <laughs> I I ended up seeing Battlestar Galactica before I saw Star Wars. I mean, Star okay. Wars was in theaters in the DC area for almost two years. Mm -hmm. So I, the, I had actually been watching the first few episodes of Galactica before my parents would let me go see Star Wars in the oh, theater. But, wow. okay. but I remember things like 
uh, you had blueprints of the ship and yep. that, you know, ba Babylon five even had blueprints of the ship. Are there, there documents like that? Is there like a, 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 a document like that for the Eagle? Because one of the things that fascinates me in the description of, uh, of the documentary is you have actually created 3d models where yes. like then they're they're digital sets mm -hmm. of the interior mm -hmm. of the eagle and mm -hmm. i am fascinated by that can you expand on that what did you use for reference material what did you did that. you like so, abscond with stuff from jamie's house uh, no 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 <laughs> okay so here's the thing all right so as a okay let's go back to the central thesis of the project right which is that people are obsessed with the eagle Okay. Mm -hmm. Now there are literally thousands of people around the world who create art of the Eagle. You can just, just go on the online and just type in space 1999 Eagle and you'll see just thousands of images of, of original art created by people. A lot of it is uh, CG. Some of it is uh, miniatures and models that they built and photographed, things like that. Um, but there are, there's a, um, so Brian Johnson and uh, uh, you know, his team, uh, that uh, Nick Alder, a few others that came together and made the Eagle and some of the other ships and everything that did the effects. They did, there were a lot of detailed drawings, uh, Martin Bauer, lots of, lots of drawings and illustrations of it. And over the years, uh, there have been numerous uh, blueprint attempts made at this. So, I mean, it's like, there's, you know, there's no such thing, I think at this point as a, as a definitive Eagle. Uh, um, Tim, Tim, getting back to your question from earlier, that's the other one is, is there's a lot of fan infighting over what's, what's an Eagle, which, which, which version's really the Eagle and that sort of thing. But the truth is you talk to Brian Johnson, they, they, kept, they were changing it and it was breaking and they were building new ones and changing I mean, that thing's all over the place. So, but my point is there's um, tons of blueprints of it out there. Um, we were able to get a hold of, uh, there's a, there's a place called the catacombs. There's a space 1999 catacombs website where they just have, there, there's a, there's a gentleman, uh, Martin Willie, who has done this massive archive of space 1999 content from, you know, and it, I mean, it's just, just, uh, thousands of documents and, and visuals and all these things. So it's a place that we could go. We looked at those reference materials and I have some, a very talented team. There's, um, a gentleman named Tobias Richter, who uh, is a company called The Lightworks, it's in Germany. Um, they did visual effects for my uh, uh, show Oce Oceanus, but he also does a lot of Star Trek. You know, there's a Star Trek uh, Ships of the Line and Star Trek Online and stuff. He does a lot of the renderings and illustrations for that. Um, Tobias, had, a couple of years ago, made a super nice high-res eagle. And he's uh, he's done all kinds of, in Maya, the 3D program. So that's what we use for the visual effects. So I, I did my own animatics that I sent to him, and then we were able to do the final renderings and make it look like that. And then there's another company um, in Germany called Full Steam that I work with that actually built the recreation of the interior of the Eagle. And that interior is uh, is built in something called Unreal Engine, which is a it's a video game software actually, but it looks so realistic um, that you can connect it to an LED volume, which is a series of panels, you know, that are, um, and, uh, and this, the LED volume that, that the advent of that was really, um, used on like the Mandalorian and some of the star Wars shows. It's, mm -hmm. uh, part of how they're able to, to do those on such a uh, reasonable budget and make it look so good. Um, so what happens is you project the video game engine content onto the LED screen and you have a camera that is, locked in sync with the led screen in the projection so there are targets and markers around so when you move the camera 
the imagery on the screen changes orientation. So what happens is it creates a, an illusion of parallax, which makes it look like you're in a three-dimensional space, which is, it's unbelievable actually. And then, so you have the LEDs that actually generate light and then you got the camera moving and tracking and everything goes together. So what happens is it looks completely real. I mean, there are people who saw the video we created of the, uh, um, for the uh, um, Kickstarter and that's that interior of the Eagle that I'm in is, is an LED volume. And uh, so I had people go, you built that, you know, so, you know, it's just really cool. Now we are um, rebuilding the interior of the Eagle for this project. And, and uh, we're actually building it at Pinewood Studios. And I've got a team there that worked on like uh, Star Wars, Blade Runner 2049 and all stuff. They've got, I've got the best team in England right now coming together to make this set. And, and they're all fans. So they're all super excited. So I'm going to be doing scenes and I'm hoping to bring Nick Tate and others over to England and actually have him sit in Eagle for the first time in 50 years. Which oh, I think, yes. yeah, that would nice. be fantastic. Yeah, I think that would be Very fun. Nice. So we've been recreating that, building that. That's something we're doing. I'm also in that LED concept. We're going to recreate some episodes of the series. And uh, Kevin, you got to come out for that. Like, uh, uh, There's an episode called Guardian of Piri that's very famous. Oh, these really weird mm -hmm. kind of trees yeah. with these weird spirit bubble things we're going to recreate that um with both set pieces and led and it's going to look like I'm, i land on the planet and i'm walking around on that planet we're going to do that so. are you are you going to bring uh catherine shell in for that now that i'm not going <laughs> to probably be able to pull off but oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah but uh, yeah but you could just bring anybody and say that's what maya transformed into and then they just write it on that's true. that's true and then you render it out in well, maya and everything it's a whole circular she was a robot she was a different, yes. Yes, yes, she was. different being in that episode. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. First season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, so I hope I answered your question. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just fascinated because the, the new technical manual, the Space 1999 technical manual that came out last year. Yes. Uh, I, I talked to Jamie about that last year when it came out, and it's, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yes. And so I'm, I'm curious and eager to see what you do uh, with more technology, more computing power to bring the, that ship, the, the, the essence, the heart of the ship to life, because yeah. like just, just the pictures on the page are gorgeous, but this is a, uh, I'm, my half my mind is still blown. <laughs> <laughs> from what you guys that's are great. attempting that's so that's part of my goal here's that's the other reason like like when i was pitching this with the hollywood people they didn't get it they didn't understand like well, why are you doing that you know i'm like well i'm doing it because all the fans are going to freak out because i freak out and you know and kevin will freak out we're all you know i mean we're all like wow you know it's like we're suddenly you know kids again you know that's the thing that's what that's the magic i want this piece to have so um, I think it's really, really important. I'm very excited about it. And the other thing is we do have access to some never before seen visual effects footage that Ooh. was created that's archival. And we're going to up res that and make it look really cool and show that. And then, you know, in addition, I'm going to do a whole bunch of new visual effects shots that are going to be throughout the film. So you'll get to see the eagle flying around and, and you know, using today's modern technology, which I think is going to be really cool. But I, by the same token, I'm not trying to I'm trying to do the effect shots in a way that looked like they were made 50 years ago, right? So in other words, I'm not trying to go and take it and soup it up and make it look like, you know, today's VFX uh, in terms of movement and choreography and everything. I'm trying to I'm trying to say, all right, if Brian and his team had had access to CGI in addition or and even motion control, which they didn't, right? They didn't even have motion computer driven motion control when they made 
that show. Um, I want to, uh, you know, depict that and do an homage to it. And Brian actually saw the effect shots I've done. He really likes them. He thinks it's great. That that was a great moment in my life, actually. To, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, why don't yeah. you tell about the the new print that we've got for this, the the new artwork and stuff? Yeah. So there's um, so um, a, a friend of mine, John Eaves, who is a famous designer from the world of Star Trek. John, um, you know, he designed like the Enterprise E, which is an awesome ship. And he's, uh, you know, I, uh, the, the Discovery and all. I mean, he's been designing Star Trek ships, you know, for years and years. He does props and sets and all this stuff. Well, John turns out he his first love was the Eagle. His first love was Space 1999, the Eagle. So he contacted me and said, man, I'd like to become part of your Kickstarter, part of your project. I'd like to do a print for you. And so he's going to do a, an exclusive image of the Eagle, which is really, really cool what he's come up with, which is it, seeing it from the top flying over the surface of the moon with its shadow down on the craters and everything. It's really awesome. So he's doing this, this, this limited edition print. So we're only going to put – we're going to have uh, – I think we're going to do 250 – um, signed and 250 unsigned or something that we're gonna we're gonna make available to to I think we just made it available today. It's part of our new Kickstarter initiative. And then we also have a a blueprint, an exclusive blueprint of the uh, Eagle by uh, a guy named Robert Bonchun, who's another Star Trek uh, alum from Visual Effects. He also worked on Babylon Five uh, very extensively as well. And he's done this really cool blueprint of the Eagle. So those are two rewards that you can get if you pledge now, which is pretty cool. Can I add them on to my pledge that I've already made? Yes, you can. Okay, I might have yes, to go look can. at that. Then. Yeah, you should Fantastic. be able to go on there and do that. I mean, I'll, if you have any issue, just uh, let me know. And okay. We'll fix it for you. So, yeah. What's the current timeline for the Kickstarter? Like, I know this just started up like just a couple of weeks ago. What, What is the, I guess, how long do people have before, you know, to jump in? We have um, uh, nine days. There's still nine days, eight days as of tomorrow. So, you know, and we have to remember Kickstarters fund sometimes in hours or minutes, right? So if we can get the attention and the, and the interest up to where it is, where we need it, I mean, this thing can still get, um, you know, hundred again, 125,000 is not nothing to sneeze at. So we're, we're, we're getting there. So we just need some more people to jump in, you know? Yeah. So to that point though, I mean, this project is amazing you mentioned plan B's. I'm going to assume one of those is that if the Kickstarter does not meet your goal, and as we all know with Kickstarter, if you don't meet the goal, then it is not successfully funded and nobody's charged the money and all those pledges just evaporate. Right. Exactly. But I mean, this is clearly a passion project of yours and you know, enough people, including myself are excited about it to see it come to fruition. So can you talk about what you would do in the um, in the event that the Kickstarter does not succeed? Yeah, Kevin has this really um, cool suit of armor that he had shipped over from um, Europe. I'll just and sell I'm, it, and I'm planning to sell that For in order to thousand dollars. Know, just yeah, yeah. So no, um, no. Uh, I at the, least you're uh, not selling Kevin. So <laughs> yeah, we're gonna sell Kevin. That's the um, million you know, dollar point. Yeah. Um, no, the, uh, the plan is that, uh, you know, the one thing that's happened that's really exciting about this is that we have uh, garnered a lot of private equity interest in this. And so what's happened is there are people who are like, man, I love that thing. That looks really cool. I'd love to give you some money. I don't give my money away. I'd love to invest. We've had, we've had some people come to us and say that. So we've been looking at that and saying, you know, are there enough of these potential investors that we could actually finance the project? 
um, through private equity. And so we have been exploring the private equity angle because we, we do have international attention for this. We have proven that there's an audience for it. You know, I mean, it, like literally uh, it's, it's up to 83 million people potentially have heard about this project now. So, you know, that's that. And then we also have a company called 0.0, .0 out of New York uh, that uh, that's our partner and 0.0. .0 they make all kinds of great high end TV shows that are on Netflix and that sort of thing. And they're planning to do the sales for us um, on the project. So they're they're going to actually go out and and find the uh, distribution for it. And so I think, you know, they've already we already met with uh, Peacock recently about it and they've talked to uh, Smithsonian Channel Discovery. Uh, you know, so there's there's a good chance we'll be able to get a really good deal for this thing. So, you know what I mean? So it's like it's not a bad deal for investors. So that's what's exciting about it. So that's the plan B we've been looking at. Well, while also still aggressively working on our Kickstarter. Yeah. Fantastic. I, yeah. That's I'm I'm thrilled to hear that Yeah. because, um, you know, put me in the camp of <laughs> I like the idea of space 1999 more than I think i like the actual show if you follow my I, meaning i'm right I'm i mean there myself actually. you know the the production values on that show are astounding mm -hmm. i mean all the sets the props clearly the visual effects all that stuff is just amazing mm -hmm. and it's great to look at it really is it's really and alan carter you know i when we we interviewed nick tate last week i i said i couldn't tell who was the the best character on space 1999 whether it was alan carter or the eagle right <laughs> you know so getting to watch him do the thing and anyways no i'm 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 really excited for it and i and i hope it goes through in some form or fashion well i i, I can tell you right now it's going to we're gonna we're gonna get it done one way or another we will for sure get it done so that's the great yeah we well, are gonna back right. down and uh and there's just too much inter interest in it there's too much you know support for it we're, we're gonna get it done but you Excellent. know all, the, all you guys the the ones who want all the goodies and the models and everything else that are the kickstarter rewards you don't get those if the private equity people fund it instead <laughs> if you want right. your john eads print and if you want your your uh extra stuff that's in there that uh that's this we have a special eagle we designed even for this and and oh, with wow. the company that's got the license that makes these really great eagles so we've got it we've got it we call it a command eagle that's got the colors of my company on it blue and stuff but it's really cool so nice. yeah nice. So, yeah well we will have links to the kickstarter we will have links to uh future dude uh because there's a really nice article there about uh getting this started uh i will have to go look for no because kevin has like five links but i'm sure we can yeah, narrow it down find, find one of mine or something <laughs> but yeah, the other just... day i was i was sitting out on my back porch i was editing a, a a new novel i'm working on i was editing it and i always have like like my phone or something and i i have like a classic rock play playlist and and because jeffrey had just talked with me i just went you know, I'm going to look on Amazon Music. Yes, the Space 1999 soundtrack is on Amazon Music. So play that sucker. And and it just put me in this whole different <laughs> mindset while I was while I was working on my my novel. So so yeah, that leads fun. to the question, Kevin, when are you writing your Space 1999 tie-in novel? I'm I'm let's see how good how well this documentary does cuz I'm I'm not quite sure we've got enough of an audience for me to write a book right now but i don't know i i used to i used to make up space 1999 stories and and um you know the 
one thing that we didn't really touch on is is the design of the sets, like you said. But Moonbase Alpha and the uniforms that they wear and everything, there's it has a real character to it. That that, that moon base and the little the the transport. Oh, the transport tube's tube awesome. It's like, the, the, the travel tubes are the fantastic. travel tubes are yeah, so yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, so cool. And it's so and much the com locks and the stun guns, yeah. and all of it. I mean, yeah, and even little... for even for that matter, the high heeled boots. I mean, that's all yeah. just part of the zeitgeist. No, no, it's really it's it's you know the thing is, I I think visually they just nailed it. And it's a matter of fact, you know, um, I've been involved in two attempts at rebooting it actually. Um, and uh, the second one got pretty close. And that's what, it's funny when you said, are you going to write a tie-in novel? I want Kevin to, to to work with me when we do a reboot, if we can get there. I mean, I think that the more that happens with this documentary and the more that we show that we're competent, right? I've already feel like I've shown that I can competently do visual effects of this, right? Or mm-hmm. competently recreate the sets. But the one thing that was an edict for me is if we redo this show, there's no possible way I would change the aesthetic at all. You know, and I think we have a way to do it, actually. We have a way to still call it Space 1999, to keep the aesthetic exactly 70s. And I think if, if, if we pull it off, people will be blown away. So we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Just right now, we're making a documentary. It's all one step at a time. One step at a time. Yeah. Well, for the folks who are wondering, what is this show and where can I watch it? I know for a fact that the series is on Tubi, which is one of the free apps. And last time I checked, there's another app that's free called Stir. And Stir is weird. They have stuff broken down by channels. So there's like a, a CSI New York channel. There's a Space 1999 channel. Okay, so you can actually just go there and it's playing the episodes. You know, you pop in, you pop out with like you're watching broadcast TV. And so those are two places where you can check out uh, Space 1999 on streaming i there's, didn't know I'm gonna interrupt there you, was... summer there's mm-hmm. two others um, oh. i've been watching it on shout tv mm-hmm. and that's free with ads and also through amazon video um i don't know if you have to have a prime membership or not but that's also um but it is also um free well prime with ads mm-hmm. yeah. so and, there are multiple ways to see it if you want to see it well the, the nbc oh really peacock because we actually talked to them about this project so um and i will say a lot of the episodes are actually on youtube you can just go on youtube mm-hmm. and type yeah. in it you know, shout it, shout has a youtube so. channel where but i will say this I, I will say this it, uh, you know i i I've had some people who see the Eagle and they see everything like, Oh, that looks awesome. I got to watch that show. I'm like, well, (laughs) settle down, Bucky. Yeah. It's not quite what you, you know, like I'm not sitting here saying um, it's the greatest show ever made or anything like that. That's not it. I think it's got fantastic production values. I guess a tremendous cast is great. Um, I think I agree with Kevin hundred percent. There are episodes that are standouts that are awesome. Really, really great episodes that stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think on the whole, it's is summer. I think you said it's the seventies, you know. <laughs> it's and it, it it's got that seventies thing to it, and mm-hmm. and it's definitely got seventies science, and it definitely has a it's 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 got some shakiness to it, you know, and everything. And I and so there's no part of me that you know. Well, I'm glad people are going to watch it and see it. I'm not. It, you know, I'm 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 here to talk about the eagle and talk about the influence of this and the impact it's had on culture. You know, and everything. Well, but I I do want to throw in though that there, so because I'm talking about this all the time, and and um, Jeffrey was over here doing things, and so my my wife who never watched Space 1999, 
Uh, she was a huge Star Trek fan and everything, but just never did Space 1999. So I went away to a conference for a weekend and she thought, well, I'll be the loving wife and I'm just, I'm just going to watch the first episode of Space 1999, the breakaway episode. And I came home and she just went, Kevin, this isn't really very good. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I said, well, if you're going to that, I don't understand how they made, let me put it this way. The first episode is not really one of the good ones. And it, you, you kind of want to start out with your best foot forward. You really want a really good one for your first one. And, and that was more of a, it set up, the whole it's a setup. It's uh, that's setup. that's funny you say that because it's one of my favorites. It's one I of think, my favorites, though. Yeah, for me, I, I, and I, I like that. I, I, in a lot of ways, it's one of my favorite episodes because it's so. Um, there's yeah. a lot of shots of the Eagles yeah. flying around yeah. doing yeah. their things. I mean, that's was, that's, you know a, that's a lot like, of it. You know, it felt like uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey yeah. became a TV show. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what it yeah. felt like. To right. Me. Well, right. but I, you know, what I'm thinking of there, there, like Space Brain and Black Sun and and. Uh, um, Guardian of Peri, I think, is a great, that, um, great episode. Yeah, Guardian yeah. of Peri is good. I like The Last Sunset. I think that's a yeah, really that's, a, that's I love a, that one. And, yeah. Um, yeah. What was the John Collins one? I'm forgetting the the um, um the uh, Mission oh of the Darians. Mission of the Darians. Um, and so, and these are really good episodes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Space well, Brain has stuck with me the whole. I, I mean, I get excited when I give a like a plot breakdown of that episode. Of course, I haven't watched it in like three years, so it it might. But but the concept of that episode was just so mind blowing to me that I had never seen anything like it, and I thought yeah. it was so tragic and so powerful. Uh, mm-hmm. Voyager's Return is another one. Voyager's Return. Oh, is you know another, another one. one that's weird, but yeah. I think is cool is uh, Collision Course, the one where that's uh, you know what's what's interesting about the the show, and I think sets it apart from Star Trek beyond the setting is. Um, one of the because I've I've been doing a binge watch just f- for reasons, and then of course Jeffrey, you know, when I came across the Kickstarter, I was like, oh, all right, and you know, now it's pe- really fired my interest. There is almost no command structure on Moon Base Alpha, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it is different from Star Trek that way, mm-hmm. and also in in so many episodes. Koenig has to establish himself as the authority on on the moon, right? Like there there are a number of episodes, and Collision Course is one of those where he comes back and he said he's contacted this alien woman who says that the moon has to co- collide with the planet because this big thing's going to happen. And he goes, and I can't really explain it. And they all go, that's really nice, John. All right, we'll be- we're behind you. And then when he leaves the room, they're all like, when we got to sedate that guy. Cause he's crazy. Yes. Right. And, and there's, you know, the final scene is where he confronts everybody and he's got a stun gun and holding them all at bay as they're trying to like drag mm-hmm. him down. Really, so they don't yeah. set off the nuclear charges that are going to screw everything over and even he when it doesn't quite line up with where and of course it has the happier ending right but even he sort of loses his composure it's it is a really different approach to science fiction characters on yes. television well, the, the than most every other really good I, yeah, I think the yeah. first season the characters are super interesting and i think they're great you know we haven't touched on well the, did you see the episode war games that's another one that, yes yes yeah. that's another one that's kind of a mind trippy sort yeah, of, it, it, yeah it really is and 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 there was a lot you know there was a there was a little bit of this roddenberry-esque undertone to it where 
they did talk about the idea of like humanity and the impact of humanity out in the universe. And, and you know, are, you know, are, are we bringing along our sort of animal issues, you know, right. As we mm-hmm. go, right? As, I, I think that that's always there. The, the idea of like people being sort of afraid of the, of the alphans of the humans because of what it's like, we don't want you guys here because you guys have issues, yeah. you know? And, yeah. 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 So I think that, yeah. so look, I mean, I, I think that it's absolutely worth watching. I think it's, but I think it's, it's, um, but I don't, it's like many things. I do understand that it's challenging, that it could be challenging for some people. I, I think, I think the, the dichotomy that exists in space 1999 is that the, the production values and the way that the sets and the Eagle, which we're talking about feel so grounded in reality, right? That Jeffrey, you mentioned it at the very beginning. It looks like the logical next step off of Apollo, right? Um, Just the way the ship's designed, it's got maneuvering thrusters. It's got the engine bells at the back. It's got Mm -hmm. a command module that is very reminiscent of the Gemini spacecraft, right? Um, The moon base looks logical. It's travel tubes get here, there and everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And yet the stories are, (laughs) have only a, 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 um, they're science fiction adjacent, I would say. So if you're looking for, uh, I I mean, okay, my head cannon to me that makes it all work is yes, there is a giant nuclear explosion at, you know, nuclear dump two, but it doesn't propel the moon out of orbit. It basically wipes out moon base alpha. And all the episodes we see are John Koenig's dying thoughts as the <laughs> atmosphere is <laughs> rushing. <laughs> right. So that's why it doesn't make any sense. Um, but it is, it's a different kind of storytelling. And I think especially the first series is very, very British. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there there is a, a, an English. Um, I don't know how to describe it. Well, I think there's a seriousness. I think it's an. I think it's a seriousness. I think it. You know, even though the premise has has its aspects that are that are a little ludicrous, they still take it seriously. They play it. Yeah, one hundred percent serious. Right. right, and I think that's what you're trying to get at. Right, they play it so seriously, yes. and, and I I find that fascinating. And they actually, as a as as you know, watching it first run, I actually thought the vibe of seriousness and the darkness, there was something about this. Um, there was a, there was a sense of almost tragedy or, a, or, or this, to- right. There was this tone to it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I got it. I thought I, yeah. you know, it, it felt like this is what going into space could be like. There's a, there's a, a darkness to it, a, 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 um, a solitude, a solitary, Sort of, you know what I mean? It's a, it, there's there's a certain yeah. grimness to it. I wouldn't say yeah, grim, yeah. dark, it's right? Grim. It's a little but dark, it is, and, but and, it is yeah. a little grim. You know, yeah. I mean, there's there's a, a second series episode, The Exiles, and and it, it plays with some familiar tropes. But one of them is they've they've opened up this capsule. There's two survivors of an alien race, and they've got these other capsules. Can we come on Moonbase Alpha and live out our existence? And they're like going, no, we can barely keep ourselves alive. And if we bring you into the system, that's going to completely... And and it's not even a, a choice of we want to do the right thing because they want to. It's just like our we have to... It's our... It is that horrible, horrible choice. Our existence over your existence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and they talk about that. You know, if uh, you know, yes, this could kill us. But what kind of people are we by telling them no? Do we deserve to live? Right. That's kind of the through. And it and it is a very different. It's a very different vibe than Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You know, and Great. and yeah, it, it, 
I, I, well, it's, in Star Trek, yeah. uh, uh, Scotty would figure out how to engineer it so that Moonbase Alpha could support them all, and they'd all live happily ever after. Well, right, but I mean, the other the other part of it is in Star Trek, they are in control of their destinies. They are setting course for the next planet warp factor five there you go the moon as again as ludicrous as as the concept is that the moon is just flung out through space and they kind of imply in the first series that that may not have been an accident yeah um, the, the right there but cosmic something going yeah, on right them around and doing um stuff. Yeah, but. but the fact is, they're not in control of where they're going. They find themselves like in the middle of situations. Like we're just here, guys. Uh, you know, we don't want a part of any of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it and it's a, it's a different vibe and it's a different mindset. Hey, to have you ever heard your head around. Um, something I I read about um, doing my research and all this is that uh, Jerry Anderson originally, you know, they they wanted this to be a second season or second series of UFO, which. I, I've yeah. heard I've heard two things about that 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 was that was true and also that that was sort of a retroactive thing that sort of fan service. No, no, so no, it know? absolutely was. No, okay, I mean, it, it's, all right. It's, it's well. Here's the thing. Let, let me say it a different way. There, there was the plan to do a second series of UFO, and and uh, Lou Grade and the the financiers said, no, we're not going to do that. So, so basically, so now the connections that have been made that are in this, that's fan stuff okay. when they write. Right. Okay. But, but the powers that be behind space 1999 did not want to do a, a second season of UFO. So what happened was, um, you know, Koenig wanted, Koenig, uh, Jerry Anderson wanted to do a, uh, a, a, a story about a, a moon base and everything, but he wanted to cut the moon base off from the earth. So what he was going to do was actually wipe out the, you know wipe out the earth and then tell a story about what it was like to be stuck on Moonbase alpha with the earth wiped out right and uh lou grade and everyone they said that's just too depressing the audience <laughs> won't like that that's too far and so that's when they said okay fine what if we blast the moon out of orbit and send the moon going you know, around right so i think that's that's what kind of because so so the original idea really was much more uh was kind of grounded i i my assumption is that it would have been they're there and they're trying to survive and then aliens were going to come to them and, and things like that, you know, and stuff. Sure. You know, one thing that I do would say to add to your, your point that this was very different from Star Trek was the Eagles were such a, um, a propulsive aspect of the show. Like we're going to get in this thing and we're going to fly down to that planet. That was something I loved about the, the series, you know, or we, we can, we can have combat with these things. We can defend ourselves with these things. We use them as workhorses. We can rescue people. We could, there's something, there's so many things I could do with the Eagle that, that really gave this a tone, which is very different than we're going to beam down. Mm-hmm. It, you know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. That, that was, that was very different. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's something that really stood out and really impacted a lot of the viewers. I think it's okay. interesting when you talk about the workhorse, cause that's one of the things I think is so cool about the design of the Eagle mm-hmm. is that, that, that central pod is, you know, the, the Eagle itself is just the superstructure with the command module and the propulsion units. And you can swap out, all the 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 uh, passenger pods, whether you need a, a research lab, whether you need emergency services, whether you're just going to reconnoiter a planet, like all that stuff, and and you can leave that behind, right? I mean, there's a couple episodes where they just leave the the the, the crew module behind as a base of operations for surveys, and then send the eagle off to do whatever. What a what an amazing concept! It what really a is super brilliant, cool. brilliant concept. Super cool, super cool. <laughs> yeah. So. There's so many, there are a lot of aspects that are really neat about this, which is part of why I think it would be fun to redo it, right? Because you could, 
you could you know what what would this be like if you if you created a rooted sort of more of a hard sci-fi version of it right could that be interesting could be fun I, but but then still but that, but there's this other wacky version that i got in my head that actually is really wacky that lets you really do the original series so it's kind of interesting you know so there's a lot of different ways you can go with it so we'll so how how long would this documentary be because there's so much about the eagle just i mean you you've said more in the past 15 minutes than i ever knew about um it's uh the documentary is going to be somewhere between 90 minutes and two hours so it, it's going to be on the longer side because there's just so many cool things that i want to do and talk about in this so uh, there's a lot of lot it, of content there. Yeah, there's a lot it, of content. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds it sounds like it needs to be longer. I mean, just just saying, never sleep again. The uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street documentary was four hours long. So you you have a window. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I want this to be able to be seen in the theater. And I think they're going to want that to be a little shorter than four hours. So okay. But yeah, I, I, I I I've got an idea to get this to two, and then not to mention the fact that. You know, if we start doing this as a project where there's a, you know, Blu-rays and, and others, you know, there's extras, we can definitely go into other aspects of this okay. in the extras. So, yeah. And that, that was my next question. Will physical media appear? Oh, no, I, it's me. I got to have physical media. I, I love that. <laughs> I think having a 4K UHD is the way to go with this thing, too. Excellent. You know, so. yeah. Excellent. Well, for Kickstarter backers, you got to have something physical to send them with an autograph on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people want to have the physical... Yeah thing even if you i still have a whole wall full of music cds even though i'm listening to digital music most of the time but mm-hmm. I, I want my thing that i can hold on to and well we've let people know where they can watch space 1999 if they're so inclined to jump in i think perhaps tim and i need to do a dissertation comparing the uneven story quality of season one of both Babylon 5 and Space 1999, because it sounds like there's a story there. Uh, <laughs> it would be interesting well, to discuss, but I don't there's, think there's a really the, good... The problem um, is that, that Space 1999, the producers hired the same guy that kind of did a lot of uh, damage to Star Trek, the third season, and oh, they dear. decided to bring him in, and he did the same thing to... Um, I heard a story. Well, well, what he was, what was, uh, he just told the story, right? Mm-hmm. Nick told yeah, me please, story yeah, Nick, Freiburg, Nick, yeah, Nick, blew my Nick, mind. Nick Kevin, you got to hear poetic. this story. You got to hear the story. It's unbelievable. So, so Nick, Nick tells us, so here's the thing, um, you know, and this is not a secret in the sense that, you know, ITC was trying to crack the American market because that's where the money is. Right. Right. And they hire Freiburger, although I everything that I have read or listened to or seen through YouTube, I can't find anybody who has a good reason why they hired him (laughs) other than somebody knew him and recommended him. I don't know. Right. So so at first he basically comes in, fires everybody in the cast except for Landau and Bain. And then discovers that, well, Alan Carter is is arguably the most popular character on the show. And so he contacts Nick and says, come over to my house and, and have dinner and we'll talk about this. And, and basically, the long story short is 
um, where Freiberger says he loves the show. It's he says that Nick said in 15 minutes is clear. He never watched an episode because one of the things he said was, I'll even give your character a promotion. How does Lieutenant Alan Carter sound? And, you know, as Nick's telling the story of like, but no, you're, he's already a captain. What is that's not a, um, but, but what he said was, what he said was that, you know, when he was asked, well, why, why are you getting rid of everybody? And, and Freiburg's response was nobody will know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. That's Hollywood or whatever. Oh my God. Although I will say this the second series has one of my all time favorite scenes of any television show in the beta cloud, where there's this monster that's threatening Moonbase Alpha and stomping around. And, um, and, and Tony lures the thing into a pressure chamber. And as the door, and I, if I remember right, it's Dave Prowse in the in the costume. Yeah. So there's the monster in the in the thing, and kind of go, and he turns around, and as the pressure door slowly closing, Tony Anwell picks up this fire extinguisher that's just there on the set, heaves it in, and smashes him right in the groin. And you can see this giant monster go, oh, as the doors closing, <laughs> and somebody decided it was. Cut, print it, and put it in the episode. It's amazing. It is amazing. Wow. Well, that was the one where Maya transformed into like a little fly or bee that yes. went around. And I went, yes. what happened? She, she's like a 130-pound woman. Where did all that? Never mind. No, right. Don't think about it too don't hard. Think yep. too don't hard. think about it too yep. hard. Yeah. Well, we yeah. are going to do our best to help get the word out about the Kickstarter because this is a documentary we need. Uh, I, the sooner yes, the better. Agree. But yeah, if it takes one year instead of two years, or two years instead of one, I'm I can be patient when need be. Jeffrey, right. do you do you have a, a projected release date? Uh, I think it'll be, I mean, we're, we're actually, we're, we're moving fast. We're, our goal is to have this thing, a uh, rough cut of it submitted to the Tribeca Film Festival by uh, mid January. And then, wow, um, yeah, no, I've got a team. We've got a great team. We're pulling it together and we're moving. And they, and then the, uh, the final version of it, we plan to have ready by June. So um, that would be, we do our sales cycle then. And then the target would be for this to be distributed during 25 which would be the 50th anniversary, which is perfect. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Fantastic. So if people want to learn more about the project, they can go to eagledocumentary.com. You can, um, I'm, I assume you guys can put a link to the Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. Um, but this would be great. People can yeah. take a look at it there and see it. Um, but uh, yeah, we'd love to have your support. We really think this is a fantastic project and we really uh, appreciate the, the chance to come here and talk about it and share all the thoughts and everything. And um, I really have fun talking to you guys just in general too. Just yeah. great. Yeah, we yeah, the, we've, got, we've got more than a week left, so you got you got time to jump on it. But but don't dither. Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah that's right. Will. yeah yeah. People, if you want to help us out, we got to move. <laughs> I, I, I will say this, Jeffrey. When I saw the the link come across my Facebook feed, I think it took me five minutes, and that was the five minutes for me to watch the trailer, read through the thing, and then mash the button. So it it, it wasn't like oh should i or shouldn't i it's like yeah this definitely needs some of my money so cool. yeah that's what we yeah. want to hear so yeah. hopefully hopefully more people will will recognize that well we're trying to get the word out and um, i'm really truly honored though thank you very much appreciate oh, that thank you yeah uh, jeffrey kevin thank you for Thanks. your enthusiasm and your 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 memories your insights into why this show matters and why we need 
you know, more people talking about the Eagle. Mm-hmm. All Absolutely. right. Thanks very much. Thank and you. we'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi right after this. Escape Pod, the free science fiction podcast brought to you by Escape Artists. I rippled a welcoming cadence of light beneath my skin, and then, seeing the newcomer was human, made my best approximation of a smile. Welcome to Helixer Transgalactic Lounge. Each week, one story told well. She should have never come back to this God's forsaken junk heap of a space station. But she couldn't help but miss it when she was away for too long. From the most astonishing and visionary storytellers of the genre. But because time is a trick of the mind, it can be hacked. And we have gotten good at it. We had to. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on the web at escapepod.org. And on Patreon under EA Podcasts. Hi, I'm Sandal Ramamurthy from NBC's Reverie, and you are listening to Slice of Sci-Fi. And the place to go is eagledocumentary.com to find out more about the plans for the documentary. Uh, the, the link for the Kickstarter is also in the show notes here. Go check it out. Go support if you can. This is a a worthwhile project. And just the the number of people who are Space 1999 fans that were involved in the the admiration <laughs> for that ship is uh has has surprised me over the past a few weeks and few months. So go spread the word. Uh, let your friends know that this documentary is is in the planning stages and there, there is still time to contribute to become one of the backers. So follow that link as well. But how about you? Are you a fan of Space 1999? Have you been following the progress, the development of this documentary? Let me know. Call in. The number is 602-635-6976 or shoot me an email. Summer at sliceofsci-fi.com You can also come on by the website sliceofsci-fi.com and leave a Comment in the discussion section for this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Slice of Sci-Fi and uh, now on Blue Sky at SliceofSciFi.com. I will chat with folks on both platforms. Still getting used to Blue Sky. We'll see. We shall see. You can listen to Slice of Sci-Fi on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Player FM, and iHeartRadio. And if you're listening on Apple or 
following on Podchaser, please consider leaving us a rating or a review and let folks know you're enjoying the podcast and they should check it out for themselves. Not sure what's going on with Google and YouTube, but uh, looks like Google's planning to shut down Google Podcasts and shift all their podcast listings over to YouTube Music, which kind of confuses me because they went through all the trouble of setting up podcast lists on the actual YouTube channel. So, yeah, just a little bit curious and confused, but it'll sort itself out. I'd like to thank everyone who is currently helping to support Slice of Sci-Fi and all of the other podcasts and websites in the Slice of Sci-Fi universe. Your pledges through Patreon, your donations through PayPal really do help keep everything online here. So thank you all for your support. If you'd like to add your support, the place to go is patreon.com slash slice of sci-fi where you can pick a tier, any tier, and become eligible for perks. Every month I give away a book, a Blu-ray, a DVD, a 4K, whatever, the lucky recipient decides to choose. I, uh, I pick a random email out of the hat and that person, that's their perk for, for, for the month. And those materials come from review materials that I receive here for the podcasts. And I really don't have the space to keep them all, so forwarding them along to supporters of the show, fans of the show, listeners to the shows, is my way of saying thank you. If you're more inclined to donate every now and then without committing to a monthly pledge, the link you can use is paypal.me slash sci-fi summer. You can also support uh, Slice of Sci-Fi and everything in the Slice of Sci-Fi universe uh, by purchasing items through our curated shop, sliceofsci-fi.net. You'll find uh, various books, various DVDs and Blu-rays of uh, classic sci-fi, some classic horror, some uh, maybe obscure programs that you weren't aware of or had forgotten about and purchasing items through that shop. All the links there are affiliate links. So every purchase through there helps support our efforts here. But that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with more Slice of Sci-Fi next time. Take care.